Good morning. Well, today's the day. Today's the day we conclude our study, uh, Rediscover Church, that we began back in September. And uh, uh, this uh, covers uh, basically the conclusion of the epilogue uh, of the book for those of you that have been reading it. Uh, it's been uh, very encouraging and challenging at the same time. And uh, this morning, um, or actually, you know, all week long, I have found uh, this morning to be somewhat of a challenge uh, because uh, I'm not dealing with a particular topic that was addressed in each one of the chapters as we go through. So it's kind of a, a concluding message, kind of tying maybe some loose ends together of sorts. Uh, if you recall, uh, at the very beginning uh, of this message, I, I, I said that that our overarching purpose of doing this study and reading the book was for, so that, that we might discover or rediscover the church and the joy and the power and the responsibility of being a part of it. And all of those things, I think, have come out loud and clear. This morning, what I want to do is kind of conclude our series by reminding us of why we need to rediscover church. Now, I can't rehash everything we've to, talked about already. You wouldn't want me to do that. Um, so I'm going to go maybe in a little bit different direction. And so to, to kind of start us off, what I want us to do here is, if we could all do this, is imagine, I just want you to imagine now, the perfect church. Can you see it? Yeah, me neither. Um, it, it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. There is no perfect church because there are no perfect people. Sometimes we forget that. And yet the church is indispensable to the Christian life and to the mission of God in the world. And it, and it has to constantly be rediscovered. I mean, if you look back throughout history, that, that's what you find. You find the church is constantly being rediscovered. We sit here today because a group of men were willing to give their lives to rediscover the church during the Reformation. And the church is continuing to be reformed in many ways. Sometimes the, the church tends to swing along this pendulum from you know, one thing to another, and, and then it has a way of correcting itself. And I think we're living in a time now where, um, because of the, 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 the climate that we face in the world, the climate that we have here in our own country, I, I think God is doing something uh, in our world, in the church, to where I think, in very short order, the church is going to look very much like it did in the first century. I think that as we realize that our political leaders have let us down, that um, <laughs> that that the 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 Judeo-Christian ethic that we once built our country upon has just crumbled. I think what's going to happen is, is that when Christians start living out the Christian life in such a way that it truly reflects who Christ is, we're going to stick out like a sore thumb. And for those people who realize there aren't any answers out there, they will then turn to Christ. 
They will turn to us because they see us, as Jesus said, loving one another, letting our light shine, you know, before the world so that all may see our good works and glorify our heavenly Father who's in heaven. I, I think that day is, is quickly coming. When you think about the church being a collection of imperfect people, and you realize that even as we sat here, we can't imagine a perfect church because no such church exists. I think we can rest in the fact that we may not get the church we want, but we can have something better. We can have the church that we never knew we needed. So with that in mind, let's pray. Father, I thank you for our time together this morning. I thank you for your word to us. And uh, Lord, for this time in this book, in this study, um, Lord, thank you for challenging us. Uh, thank you, Lord, um, for, the, for, for you coming to this world um, to save a people, to call a people to yourself out of the world for your purposes. Lord, you promised, you said you would build your church and that gates of hell would not prevail against it. Lord, we thank you for that. And we thank you that we are a part of your church, your body, the bride of Christ. Holy Spirit, be our teacher here this morning, and I pray, amen. So why do we need to rediscover church? Oh, and by the way, um, this, this is... I, it really wasn't intentional, but as it turned out, uh, there's no keynote this morning. There's no presentation. So uh, hopefully you'll stick with me, pay attention as I go through it. I'll try to give you the scripture references that you can turn to if you'd like. Um, but the question that I want to try to answer this morning is, why do we need to rediscover church? And I want to give you three reasons. We've, we've, we've hit some of this, we've covered other reasons, but I want to try to synthesize some of these things. And the first reason is, is that we're all sinners, prone to spiritual drift. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 2, verse 1 says, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. That is always a very real possibility. The old sinful nature may be crucified. We may be new creatures in Christ, but we still wrestle with our flesh. We, we still have sinful tendencies. You know, old habits die hard. We may be saved by grace, but we must still put to death the deeds of the flesh on a daily basis. We must daily choose to follow Christ, to submit to his lordship and obey his commands. And I think we can see that sinful vestige when we think about our own self-sufficiency. Our, our self-sufficiency oftentimes blinds us to our need for God in his church. What we find sometimes is that instead of seeking his kingdom, we end up seeking our own. We can feel that we're the masters of our own fate, that we are in control of our lives, of our time, of our money, and even our own destiny. You know, the, the phrase, I'm too busy, is the mantra of many Christians. They're too busy for God. They're too busy for God's people. They're just too busy. And we may want his blessings, 
But the real question is, do we want him? And do we want his family? Some of us may say, yeah, I, I want God. I'm not sure about, you know, his kids, whether I want them. R.C. Sproul said this. He says, natural man's sin is precisely this. He wants the benefits of God without God himself. And I've mentioned before that there are professing Christians who believe they can live the Christian life apart from the church. And um, it, it's, it's, it, it's really a sad commentary on things today. Uh, you can be a Christian without being a part of the church, but why would you want to? Why would you want to be a, outside of the church? God has designed you to be a part of his body, the church, you know, I don't know if you ever thought about this before, but the church is like a spiritual greenhouse. It's designed to grow us and to mature us so we can learn how to love God, how to serve God, how to serve one another and be on mission in the world together. You know, a, a sheep alone out in the wilderness, that's a dangerous place to be. And the same is true for Christians we dare not think that we can grow in Christ apart from God's church. That's not the way that God designed it. But not only does our self-sufficiency blind us to our need for God in his church, our selfishness blinds us to the needs of others. You can't see the needs of others if you're not with them, if you don't spend time with them. You, you can't see the needs of others if your eyes are on yourself. We struggle with putting others first. Maybe, maybe I, I should personalize this. I struggle with putting others first. Why? Because there's a vestige of the old man that still remains there's parts of that old sinful nature, that bent, that selfishness that was so prevalent before I came to Christ and has taken many, many years for God to work on, to get me to where I am, but it's still present. It's a, it's a vestige of the sinful nature and, and, and to be selfless means I have to deny myself. I have to die to myself. And per, I'm just going to be honest, I have an aversion to my own death. It's not something that I relish or that I cherish. I'm a safety first creature, a comfort first creature. And I realize I, 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 I'm not supposed to be like that. And so God has to do a work in me. And then, of course, beyond selfishness is just the idols of comfort and convenience. We all know what that looks like, right? If you don't, you will in a few weeks when it gets cold. When you have to wake up a little bit earlier in the morning, warm up the car, defrost the windshield, or when the roads are snow-covered and you have to set out for worship 20 minutes earlier than you normally do, it can be tempting to stay home, sit in front of the fireplace if you got one, or to crawl back in the bed. The truth is I face these idols every Sunday. 
Would it surprise you to learn that I don't bounce out of bed on Sunday morning with a huge smile on my face, just so excited about being here and worshiping with you? Oh, yeah. No, I wake up like most people, groggy, hungry, with a bunch of crud in my eyes that I have to wipe out, and I stumble out of bed. Literally, sometimes I stumble out of bed, and then I have to make my way to the bathroom. Eventually, I'll take a shower, I'll shave, I'll get cleaned up, I'll get dressed up. Why? So I can be here. Some of you are saying, yeah, but you're the pastor, you have to be here. Yeah, that's true, but that's not the real reason. I'm here because I, I need to be here. I need to be among the people of God. I need to worship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I need to be reminded that the Christian life is not meant to be lived alone. I need to, to be here to receive all that God has for me. And oftentimes that comes through you through your love, through your encouragement, through your support, sometimes through your comfort and strength. And I need to be here to do the same for you. And that's what I try to do. The fact is we all get tired, we all get worn out, and there may be occasions when when you ought to just stay in bed. But it mustn't become a habit. So don't let the weather, don't let the drive, don't even let these uncomfortable chairs or a hundred other things keep you from gathering together as God's church. We need to reject the idols of comfort and convenience if we're to avoid spiritual drift and rediscover church. Another reason why we have to constantly rediscover church is that we, we live in a godless world that is trying to squeeze us into, into its mold. Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. That word that it's translated there, conformed, literally means to mold or to shape or to form or conform or even remodel, if you would. See, the world wants to shape us or mold us into its image. It pressures us to conform us to its ways. It lures us away from God in the church, and it does so with many isms. Among them is our hedonism, materialism, religious pluralism, consumerism, and there's a whole bunch of other isms, but, but I thought about those four as I was thinking about this message. In, in hedonism, the world would have us try to find fulfillment in pursuing pleasure. It's all about what, what makes you happy, what feels good. If it feels good, do it. No right or wrong. The greatest goal in life is, is to be happy. It's, it's to derive pleasure. And at all costs, avoid pain. In religious pluralism, the world would have us pursue spirituality apart from truth. All religions lead to God. We just need to learn to coexist. 
In materialism, the world would have us find happiness acquiring stuff. And consumerism is a logical outgrowth of hedonism and materialism. It's all about the consumption of material goods and services. It's an ideology that puts our felt needs and desires at the center of the universe. We decide what brings us the most pleasure or the most good. And and as a result, many people approach Christianity with this consumer mindset. What's in it for me? What can the church do for me rather than what can I do for the church? We see this even in the phrase shopping for a church. How do we go about doing that? Well, we weigh the pros and the cons. You know, the good, the bad, the ugly. We assess the website, the location, the denomination, the building, the friendliness of the people, the music, the preacher, whether they have programs for children's, teens, and young adults, and so much more. See, that's how we approach it. Somewhere on that list, maybe, there is a search for the mission and vision values of the church, maybe the doctrinal statement, if you can find it on church websites. Joe Terrell, in his book, Consumerism in the Church, says this, through consumer Christianity, the value of God in our lives becomes predicated on how well he fulfills our needs, whether that's a better marriage our emotional well-being, a meaningful life, or an enthralling worship service. Add to that, we live in an entertainment-driven society. Church, by contrast, is drab and boring. This is how the seeker movement was born. It was a reaction to that. So, Now you have churches that are trying to compete to see who can put on the best show because they know that this is what people are accustomed to and we're not gonna draw them if we don't give them something that they enjoy. So the world has influenced us in such a way that we have become now, we have become consumers of religious goods and services and the church has just continued to feed into this. John Tyson in the book Sacred Roots says, in a church as entertainment culture, instead of seeking to be equipped as disciples of Jesus, we are slowly formed into consumers and critics who give ratings and reviews on the local church's performance. But when we expect the church to entertain us, it limits the church's ability to challenge us. Entertainment rarely transforms Technology has also acerbated the problem. If you've read um, you know, that, that last chapter, you know this. Technology can be an incredible tool for the gospel, but can also hinder our spiritual growth. Take the internet. The internet, wonderful tool. You, you, you can find many, many resources on the internet. You can tune into your favorite preachers. You can listen to your favorite podcasts. 
You can view all sorts of commentaries and Bible dictionaries and all sorts of other resources. Of course, you have to weed through a lot of bad stuff to find the good stuff, but when you do, it's, it's pretty good. But even then, it's not a substitute for the local church and the people that you see week in and week out. Streaming services is an extension of the internet. It's a wonderful blessing to those who are shut in, those who uh, may be on vacation and, and they don't have a, a local church that they can a- attend. But as we have seen after COVID, it is just so easy for us to stay at home, to turn on our TV or our computers and watch the church service. Why is it so easy to do that? Well, it's because you don't have to get up early. You don't have to get dressed or get the kids ready for church. You don't have to scrape the ice off your windshield in the winter. You don't have to interact with people. You can avoid the people that you don't want to see. And except for maybe your family at home, no one will know if you're paying attention or singing along to the music. And I don't know if you ever thought about this. I did it until I read the book. But the automobile as technology has also impacted the church. We now can drive 45 minutes past dozens of churches to get to the church that's more to our liking. And I know that as soon as I said that, I'm thinking, okay, now it's it's like he's trying to tell people don't come to new life. It's not what I'm saying. I'm I'm just stating a fact that now that we can hop in our cars, we can get on the interstate or whatever, we can drive and and we can pass dozens of churches on the way. Now, of course, that doesn't mean every one of those churches is a church that I would recommend that you would attend. You have to be discriminating there, but but there is a trade-off. Besides the investment in time and money, wear and tear on your vehicle, gas, so forth, so on, you may also suffer from a lack of community and or missional impact in your community or your town. My wife and I, we experienced this firsthand when we were in, in Colombia because uh, while I was in Columbia and, and going to school and then eventually came on staff at a local church, that church happened to be um, 35, um, 40 minutes away from where we lived. And um, it was easier for me because, I, I, you know, it's work. You know, I'm driving back and forth and doing it all the time. And I'm getting to know the, the elders and the people in the church far greater than my wife was. My wife was isolated because nobody from our church lived anywhere near us. Eventually, there was one couple that that did. And after we ended up planting a church in Northeast Columbia out of that church, now we're only 10 minutes from the church. Now we're targeting people in our neighborhood, in in the vicinity of the church. And before you know it, we ended up having a, a community group or like a life group in our own home. We had a tremendous ministry. We had several people who lived in our development that went to our church and it made all the difference in the world, but that's a trade-off when we do that. We have to work hard to maintain relationships when you're that far from people who go to your church. And in the case of those who undergo church discipline, now they have an easy out, right? See, back in the day before the automobile, 
If you went through church discipline because, you know, you, 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 you weren't faithful to your wife, let's say, you had no place to go. This was your community. These were your people. And you had to endure it. Not so anymore. Now, now you don't have to go through the process of church discipline. People can just hop in their car, drive across town, go to another church, and nobody will be the wiser. Problem solved. Lehman and Hansen in the book, speaking of their book, says, the, the world cultivates instincts in all of us that push against the vision of church you've encountered in this book. If churches are to thrive during whatever unknowns the future holds, they must be rediscovered. My third and last reason that we need to constantly rediscover the church is that we simply tend to forget what Christ did for us and what he wants for us. We've got short memories, I know I do. And the further we removed we get from our conversion, the harder it is for us to remember what it was like, what we were like, what God saved us from, and how we felt about it at the time. The good news gets old. We get caught up in the here and the now, in the tyranny of the urgent, and we forget what Jesus rescued us from and what he has called us to. And and here's the reality. We might still be serving God, but we may no longer be enthralled with him. I was reading in the book of Revelation And you know, in the beginning of that book, the Lord is speaking um, to several churches. And he has, in most cases, some good things to say and some not so good things to say. And in Revelation chapter two, verses one through five, the Lord is speaking about a church that we know very well because we studied it a couple years ago, the Ephesian church. We read the, the book of Ephesians and that was written 35 years earlier. And Paul had some glowing things to say about the Ephesian believers. But here we are, 35 years later. Listen to what the Lord says. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, lampstands, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. These are some wonderful things that God is saying about this church. But then in verse four, he says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Folks, 
the lesson we ought to take from this is that just because you may be thriving at one particular point in the life of the church of your church doesn't mean you will be in the next 10 years or 20 years or 30 years we can lose our first love and some commentators here you know they they interpret verse 4 as that the church lost its love its passion for Christ. Another interpretation is that they may have lost their love for one another. Most commentators that I've read think both are in view because both go together. They go hand in hand. And and this is why we need to rediscover church so that we do neither of those things. It is so easy to let the flame of love die out, whether it be for our spouse or for Christ or for the church. We need to find ways to keep the flame of love alive. We need to constantly be reminded about what Christ has done for us and what he wants for us. That's why I think Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 and 2, he says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. When we did our study in Second Peter, how many times did we read about Peter saying, it's no trouble to remind you of these things. I'm going to remind you of these things. Why? Because we forget But not only do we need to be reminded of the gospel, we need to be reminded that Jesus died for a people. A people that he called out of the world to himself to be on mission with him. We need to rediscover church because it is God's instrument to conform us into the likeness of his son. You know, a couple weeks ago, I talked about the fellowship of difference that God designed his church to be filled with all sorts of people who we may not have had anything in common with in the world. But yet God has united us together in Christ. And it, it bears repeating here. Here at New Life, we have men, women, children, Young, old, married, single, blue collar, white collar, new believers, veterans in the faith. We have people from the West Coast, from the East Coast, and everything in between. We have people from the North and from the South. We have different ethnicities, ethnicities, languages, and accents. We have different family, educational, and religious backgrounds. We have different personalities, temperaments, strengths, and gifts. We have values and preferences that differ from one another. We have various political and theological leanings. We are different, yet we are one. How is that possible? It's because of what Christ has done for us. Through his death, his resurrection, and our subsequent faith in him, our sins have been forgiven. But more than that, he has torn down the dividing wall that has kept us separated, alienated from one another. 
The dividing wall of hostility has been replaced and he has placed all who have trusted in him into his church. We are the fellowship of difference. Galatians 3, 28, Paul says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Praise God. Church is a beautiful picture of heaven, but it's not yet perfected. The church is filled with imperfect people striving to follow a perfect savior. We may not get the church we want, but we can have something better. We can have the church that we never knew we needed. Proverbs 27, 17 is one of my favorite passages in scripture. It says, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. I like the verse, I don't necessarily like how it's played out in my life. You see, we all have rough, ed- rough edges, right? That need to be made smooth. And it's through the instruction of God's word and the interaction with one another that this occurs. I have rough edges. You have rough edges. And we scrape against each other. And as we do that, there is friction. There is heat. There is the uncomfortable sharpening of our character or the rubbing off of those rough edges. In addition to this, we must learn to set aside our preferences for the greater good of the church. We all have a list of things we want in a church. From, from before we were searching or shopping for a church to the time we entered it and even years into it. Maybe you want a traditional church building with comfortable chairs. Maybe you want more coffee options or no coffee. Maybe you prefer a certain kind of music or, or certain instruments. Some people prefer no instruments. Maybe you want sermons to be positive and uplifting in less than 30 minutes. Some would prefer John MacArthur to unpack Romans 9.18 for an hour. Maybe you want traditional Sunday school or other educational options. Maybe you want a program or a group that meets your needs. There are all sorts of things that we would like to have in a church. But I'll tell you this. Everything that's on our list is not on God's list. God knows what we need. And what we need is a church that will challenge us to get over ourselves and onto God's agenda. That's why Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, he did not equate or count equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to. 
But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Bobby Jameson, pastor, said this, that putting others before yourself will cost you. In a culture saturated with consumerism and in cities with a buffet of church options, the last thing we typically want to do is sacrifice our preferences. But that's precisely what the gospel calls us to do. He goes on to say, get in the habit of letting go of your preferences so you can grab onto the good of the whole body. Train your heart, mind, tongue, and hands to run in the gospel grooves of giving up so that others can gain. God may not give you the church you want, but he's more than capable of giving you the church you need. As I close this message in this series, I want you to hear the words of the Apostle Paul as he describes the Ephesian church 35 years before Revelation. Because in many ways, it's a description of us. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made by the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to you who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by his spirit. There's no such thing as a perfect church. Because there are no perfect people. Yet the church is indispensable to the Christian life and to the mission of God and it must constantly be rediscovered. We may not get the church we want, but we can have something better. If we're willing to commit ourselves to one another,
and to Christ, we can have the church that we never knew we needed. I want to leave you just with some practical application. It may or may not be applicable to you, but if, if you're not yet in a life group, I would encourage you, join one. Um, see me after the service. See one of the elders, one of our life group leaders. We'd love to help you get connected. If you've not yet found a place of service in the church, same thing holds true. Come talk to us. We would love to help you find a place of service where you can use your gifts. And if you're not yet giving to support the Lord's work here at New Life, I I would challenge you to, to consider doing that, to prayerfully go before the Lord and ask him, Lord, what should I give? How should I give? I want to be a cheerful, generous giver. And for those of you who may not yet be Christian, I urge you to repent and to believe on the Lord Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross for your sins so that you could be made whole. Let's commit our time to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you, Lord, for your word to us. And Lord, for this beautiful thing called the church. As imperfect as it is, Lord, it is your instrument. It is your vehicle to grow us, to mature us, um, to help us rub off those rough edges, that we might become more like you, that we might be more effective being on mission with you in the world. Lord, we ask that you would use us to further your kingdom so that there may be many more lovers of Jesus in it as a result. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.